I've asked the question and have been posing it to you for the last couple of weeks, especially about what is the central mission of the church of Jesus Christ? What is the purpose of us gathering together on Sunday mornings, on the Lord's Day, as we've been doing for almost 2,000 years? Do you know it's pretty soon that we're not just going to be saying almost 2,000 years? You realize we're up all, almost up on the second millennium of his reign in the earth. I know I just messed with somebody's head right there by saying it that way, but 2,000 years of Jesus' kingdom in the earth, seven years or nine, ten years from now, depending which date you want to go with, established in the earth, and here we are, and the purpose remains the same. And it's not to keep providing a better program. It's not to keep providing a place for Christians to gather. It's not to keep providing just alone the gospel of salvation, although all of that's important and all of that is part of what we'll do. We are still centered on the mission to be God's dwelling place in the earth. Every promise from Genesis all the way through Malachi has one thing in mind. God said, I want to dwell in the middle of my people and I want to dwell in the middle of the earth. And he looks to and fro about the earth to strongly support the hearts that are completely his. But what's he looking for? He's looking for a wide open door that says, we'll make room for you. We are wide open for you, whatever that looks like and whatever it takes. Do you know that the people who usually resist God the most are the religious people? The people who think they've got God all boxed in and know him in and out and have their theology all set together. Guess who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ? The top theologians of the day, the 70 brightest minds of the scriptures rallied together to crucify the living word when he came. And those who usually resist the Lord are the ones who know him the best or at least think they know him the best. So let's be the people that says we're going to make room for you to show up in a way that maybe we've never heard written about before. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard. Man, it hasn't even entered the heart of man, not even the big dreamers of what God has in store for us. Are you guys excited for God to do that in the future? Because I don't know about you, but I, I, I just think the future is looking awesome. The future is looking awesome. You know why? Because the promise of God is for the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, which what? It grows brighter and brighter until the fullness of day. Yeah, there's going to be clouds. There's going to be storms. There's going to be days that you say, man, where did it go? It is so dark right now. You ever been under a, a tornado cloud, what do they call them, a funnel cloud? Underneath one and it's churning and you just, I don't know, but I get out on my porch and I look up because I, I want to see it. And then I realize, you idiot, get in the basement. You know, it's, but it's so dark. It's like night outside, but the sun's still rising. The sun is still in the sky. Jesus Christ is still enthroned as he did 2,000 years ago when he rose from the dead. He still sits enthroned in that same place. And our purpose, with all the other things we will do, we have established nations in the name of Jesus Christ. We have built all kinds of things to benefit the world hospitals and and places where people could get inner healed and and we, we've established education wherever the church is gone the, all the society improves whether they're believers or not we've done all kinds of great thing in his name but still today the most important one of all is that we are a people who has god dwelling in our midst and if we ever lose a sense of that if we ever get a feeling like we're riding on belief alone or we're riding on experiences we've had in the past, or we just believe that we've got reduced to something that we talk about in days gone by, but not a thing that we're experiencing in the moment, then I would propose that it's worth stopping everything, 
Stop everything. Hold a phone and say, Jesus, I don't see you right now, and I need to. So this is um, part three of the Make Room series. That, that subtitle, by the way, was last week's. So I forgot to change it. I have no idea what to call it, so you, you get to call an audible today and name the message because I have no idea. I'm terrible at it. Ask the office staff. They always go, like, come on, name it. I don't know what to call it, but turn to Psalm 100 because it'll be something out of here. This is, if you ever wondered, uh, my kids were talking to me this year about, hey, Dad, how come there's no Thanksgiving songs? There's Easter songs, there's Christmas songs, but there's no Thanksgiving songs. And, I mean, uh, so I played Alice's Restaurant. <laughs> I just dated myself with that. And a few of you 50 and overs got that. But um, and I realized, man, I think somebody wrote a Thanksgiving song this year. But, but that, so we were talking like, yeah, nobody wrote a, a song for the holiday Thanksgiving that really caught on, like the Christmas and Easter songs. And then I thought, Every single Thanksgiving song that's worshipful is a Thanksgiving song. At least the whole nation stops for a day to remember to give thanks. At least most, most people do. We give thanks. And I found out, and I, I read to my daughters this, well, there is a psalm for Thanksgiving. It's titled so. I know it was a few centuries before the holiday was established. But this is a psalm for Thanksgiving. That is what... The purpose of Psalm 100 is, so let's read it together. Can we read it out loud together? Because I really feel like God wants to take our worship into a place where we're actually singing as those who are actually sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you just close your mind's eye, close your eyes for a moment so you could imagine in your mind's eye, if you were actually in heaven right now, like in the throne room of God, like where John got taken up and where Isaiah got taken up and they saw the angels singing, crying out one to another, it says. And the sound John describes says it sounded like Niagara Falls. It was so loud in that place. Just imagine yourself in that place. Could you sit silent in the presence of that? Could we, beholding the majesty of the Lord, beholding how absolutely awesome he is, like nothing our eye has ever yet seen, the, the most glorious 20 things that we've seen in our life pale in comparison. They just fall to the wayside. Like, man, that is so ugly compared to the beauty I'm beholding right now. Can you even fathom sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and remaining sitting or remaining silent? We want to be careful about when we're sharing about worship. And, and as I share with you, there's dozens of words in the Hebrew language for worship or praise, and, and they all have a body motion to them, and three of them in this psalm alone are all about lifting your hands up, and I, I know I messed with some of you, and I met, like I got messed with when I went to a church that raised hands for the first time. Up until then, worship was about grab the pew in front of you and hope you can understand half the Shakespeare that you're singing right now, because I I said a dang thing we sang in the church I grew up in, and, and, and then it's over. And then I went to a church where people were dancing and lifting their hands. I thought, these people have lost their minds. And I almost left, and it wasn't for my wife, who was a girl I was interested in at that time of my life. I would have left. I stayed in church for the girl. I know I'm not proud of that, but that's why I stayed that day, because I knew if I leave, I'm done. she's done with me. So I stayed. And after a few minutes of soaking in what these people were experiencing, I said, I've got to admit, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the cross, and I believe he died and rose from the dead. But they got something I don't got. And you know, you got to say it like that, even though it's grammatically incorrect. They got something I don't got. They got joy. They, got, I mean, I, they can't be faking it because they're crying and they're on their face. And, and it was just so real. I thought God actually is in this place. 
And so David wrote this psalm, we think it was David anyway, for Thanksgiving, and he opens it up. What's the first thing we're going to do? Let's read it together. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Help me out there, Jaden. They, they don't have it memorized. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. I know I heard like eight of you. I know I snuck up on you with that. But let's read it together. And let's try this. Try telling your voice to express the words that we're reading. And this is what I'm saying. I want to be careful. I never want to get into a habit of forcing anybody to do anything. That's not my role in your life. But I will exhort, and I'll be a pain in your ear. I promise that. Just like I needed, we all need it, that, that we're going to actually experience the Word of God. We're not just going to learn about it. I was in seminary for two and a half years, and then, and then I dropped out, and I studied the Scriptures under some of the most amazing minds on planet Earth, people who translated the NIV. I learned Greek and Hebrew from people who you know wrote books that other scholars read so that they could write their PhD. Those were my teachers. And after two and a half years in seminary, I realized the Bible and God's presence is drying up for me. And I know more scripture right now than I've ever known. And I understand the background of more scripture than I've ever known. But something about the living, tangible thing that I experienced that day that I was born again, I feel like it's drying up on the inside of me. And then a wisecrack friend of mine said, yeah, that's why they say seminary is a cemetery, which it can be. Unless you do it right, there's, there's a good way to do it. It can be done, but for me, that was my experience. And so I, I don't want to be one who forces somebody to do something they don't want to do, but I also want us, I'm eager for us to experience the Word made flesh. The Word made flesh. Not stories of old, but I mean like right now. Is Christ inside of you? Do you have a life inside of you that was so powerful it rose from the dead while it was dead? Do we have a life on the inside of us that if we would get rid of our traditions and our cultural boundaries and all the things that we're so worried about, what's so-and-so going to think, and no, oh, nobody else is doing that, maybe I shouldn't, all, those, all that garbage that floats through our mind. Will we let the inner man in our heart have its desire? which is to praise God from the inside with every emotion in the range. Do you know, you read, now I'm going to read you a psalm in a little while here, Psalm 13, that has every emotion that there is. Just in one psalm, it's almost like a, like a bipolar kind of experience to read some of David's psalms. Like he goes from the deepest depression where he's going to commit suicide to the highest heights of praise where he's dancing like he did before the ark of God. And, and all of it's in there in the Psalms. And what I'm suggesting is that we should be not only just willing to learn the Word of God as it's written, but experience every word of it. I, I ask God, I want to experience every word of your Scriptures. I prayed that prayer before I finished reading the Bible. And then I read some stories. I said, well, maybe not that. I don't want to be scourged. You know, I'd rather not be beaten with rods if that's okay with you. I, then I started canceling out some things but with that. But... Well, let's experience it. All right, so verse one, let's read it together. Shout. Oh, see, now, I wanted to listen. But, all right, let's read it together. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. 
His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. There's a reason for it all. This psalm not only tells us here's what you should do, but it tells us why we should do it and why we should come into God's presence this way. How many of you know God has a way that He likes to be hosted? There are things that God says, if you will do this, boy, it would really make me feel at home in your place. Y'all, how many of you hosted Thanksgiving this year? Right, you hosted Thanksgiving. What are you cooking? Are you just doing the things that please you? Or are you not setting up your house? Maybe some of us, like we pull out the vacuum cleaner for the first time in a while. <laughs> Remember, our kids used to, we'd pull it out and start vacuuming the living room. Our kids would go, who's coming over? You know, and maybe it's like that. You start cleaning the place. You set the table. Maybe you use the nice stuff that you don't want the kids to break. So you put it out just for Thanksgiving. Don't break that. You know, and, and the, the nice glasses and the plates and all of that. Why? Because you want to host somebody and you want them to feel special and welcome in your place. Does God need that? Is there anything God doesn't have that we could provide for him? Is it possible that we could offer him anything he doesn't have? I would propose just one thing. Because he's given us one thing where there's free will. And that's our heart. It's our heart. We can give it to him. Or we could say, no, you're not allowed in here. God has given us authority over the gate of our own heart. And in the gate of our hearts, in the gate of all of humanity's hearts, lies whether God will be hosted in the world or not. So, this psalm is for thanksgiving, it says. That word thanksgiving is todah. It's the Hebrew word, which means to extend the hands upward. Can you all do it with me, just to make sure you get it? To extend the hands upward. Now, there's another one that's like this, where it's like, yeah, that kind of thing. That's not todah. Todah is a hand upward like this. It's an offering of thanks. So you got your basket full of whatever it is you're giving to the Lord, and you're making a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Todah implies a sacrifice is being made. This is when we worship God, even when we're not feeling it. This is when we worship God, even though it feels like God just took everything away from us. Has he really? Not if we still got breath in our lungs. He hasn't, or the devil hasn't. As long as we have something, this is the sacrifice. This is when we say, even though my world is all jacked up right now, I'm still going to thank you. And we might need to pray the prayer, Lord, could you help me remember what I should be thankful for? Because right now I can't even see it. I'm on the potter's wheel, and I just got splatted on the thing, and everything's spinning, and now somebody's beating me to a pulp on that wheel. But I need to remember whose hands I'm in right now. So it starts out, the first, so there's seven commands in this psalm. The first one is to um, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. That's the first one. This is an actual shout. The Hebrew word sounds very much like what our army declares. Ruah! That's what it sounds, that's how you have to say it. Ruah! Because you get excited. Why? Because you just saw something amazing. It means to raise a shout or to give a blast. It literally means to split the ear. So like I used to go to rock concerts and my ears would be ringing for three days, literally for three days after I came back. And as soon as they stopped ringing, I went to another one. And, and that's why I can't hear my poor little girl when she says, hey, daddy, in her sweet, soft voice. I jacked it up going to concerts and playing drums with the earphones up too loud. But that's what this word means. To shout so loudly, it makes people go, ah, turn it down. You want, we want our praise sometimes to be such that somebody says, can somebody turn it down? I'll never forget. We were worshiping in Boston one time. And you know Pastor Focapuccio, you've met him now. So this was an Italian Pentecostal church in the inner city. X fill in the blanks in every single seat in the room. 
and we used to worship. I played drums there. We used to worship. It got so loud. Some poor old guy came in one day, and worship started, and the first song was one of them, mm, uh, like one of them kind of songs. Everybody's dancing. The music is loud, and he literally, the poor man in the back went, turn it down. It felt so bad for him. We did. We toned it down like it went from 120 decibels to 110 maybe. Is that about right, the right range? What do we aim for here? 90? 100? It depends who's on the board, right? <laughs> but that's what this means. So shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. If we've lost our shout, as I shared with you last week, it means we've lost our joy, which means we've forgotten something. We've for- our heart's forgotten just how amazing it is to be alive and to be in Christ and to have eternity in front of us. That's what, that's what we've lost. So then it goes on, and let's continue on today. Serve the Lord with gladness. Verse 2. Serve the Lord. This is the second commandment in the psalm. Serve the Lord with gladness. This word means, the, the Hebrew word is abad, which means to work or to serve. Most of the time it's used to till the ground. That may sound familiar to you. Did you know that Adam's first job was to worship, but it wasn't to sing songs? His first song was saved for when he saw his bride. And he began he waxed poetic all of a sudden. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Right? He's, he's getting all poetic all of a sudden because he beheld the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. But before that, it says he was to cultivate and keep the ground. Cultivate and abod. Abod the ground. It's a word for worship. Worship the ground? No. Worship God by cultivating the ground. Use your hands as an instrument of worship, not just to clap, not just to lift them up, but get involved in something, to do something. This is the meaning of life. This is when life becomes meaningful, when our whole life, whatever our life's work is, whether we actually use our hands and, for example, building or something like that, or we use our mouth, we use our body in some way, you're using your mind, maybe using your voice, whatever instrument physically we're using, that work is a form of worship. Every act of service that we do, every time we do something for somebody, every time we give ourselves over, whether it's giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus or fixing somebody's plumbing because we know how to do it and they don't, that act of service, that thing we put our hands to, has become worship. So because what we do is worship, your work is worship. Your work is worship. So as wholeheartedly as we desire to come before the Lord with our song and our offering and whatever it else is that we're giving to the Lord, that's how wholeheartedly our work should become. And I know some of us right now, I love my job. So uh, I, don't re- I remember working places that I was like, please can I have another job, Lord? I remember those days and I'm thankful those days are behind me now. I'm thankful not to get screamed at and cussed at from 6 a.m. until we were done moving furniture. I'm grateful to God for what I learned and I'm grateful I don't do it anymore. But whatever it is that we're doing, and it was in that place that I learned this concept, whatever it is that we're doing, we're ministering to the Lord. You're ministering to the Lord. So can you just close your eye for a second and I'd like to just ask the Lord to impart a revelation to your heart. Because you know how we can understand things with our minds, but until it makes that eight-inch journey down to the heart, it doesn't really mean much for life. We can know a lot of things and sometimes even that knowledge can puff up, but we need that knowledge to make its way down and become a love that builds up. And so Lord, I pray that you'd reveal every one of us in our workplaces. Would you show every saint of God how pleased you are with the worship that's being offered up in that place. 
Whatever the work is, whether it's work of the hands or work of the heart, work with the mouth, work with the mind, work on a keyboard, work out in construction, wherever it is, would you reveal to the heart of every one of you people just how much you love that, assures you love the songs we sing, that you love the worship that we bring in that place. And so I want to encourage you as you go into work, and I know some of your situations, I know that there are hard bosses and hard companies to work for. There are just hard times in companies, and it can feel like drudgery. You hear the alarm clock in the morning, and it's, oh, no, it's, it's Monday again, that, that whole thing. But I can I promise you this, that as soon as you begin to wrap God up in the middle of it and get that revelation from your heart to your mind, then no, 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 we're going to go minister to the Lord today. This was a commandment given in Colossians to slaves. This was after Paul exhorted slaves to obey their masters and look, be the best one, be the best slave. You can't get freed right now. Rome won't allow it. They'll execute you if you run away. So while you're at it, you might as well be the best slave your master's got. And, and then he went on and he said this to them, whatever you do, do your work heartily. Put your heart in it. Put your heart and your soul into it. Do it with all of what you've got. Do it like you love the thing that you're doing. Even if you've lost your love, do it as certainly as you would if you were doing it for a friend because you're working for the Lord rather than men. Do your work heartily as if Jesus is the foreman, as if Jesus is your supervisor, or as Jesus is your customer. Jesus, embody Jesus in whoever it is you interact with in there. You're serving the Lord, knowing this, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Why? It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. That's the reality of work. That's the reality of work. It is worship. Work becomes toil, which is the biblical word for this is hard work. By the sweat of your brow, God said, would come with the curse of sin. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to work. Now, it's not going to be enjoyable like it used to be. The ground's going to fight back now, and instead you're going to sow, and, and all of a sudden thorns are going to come up, and weeds are going to come out, whether you planted them or not. They're just going to show up, and you're going to have to keep pulling the weeds, and you're going to have to keep plowing the soil because it's going to get hard, and thorns are going to be there automatically, and you're going to have to get rid of those to plant something you can eat. That's what, the, that's what toil is like. Toil is when we remove God out of the equation of our work. Serve the Lord with gladness is part of our worship, because now everything that we do in the new covenant, everything that we do is for the glory of God. If we are doing it, Jesus is doing it. If we are on the job doing something, part of Jesus is on the job doing something. It's not us anymore. It's not like, all right, Jesus, I had you at church and now I'm going to go do my thing and I'll see you next Sunday. Everything that we do now, Jesus is doing it. So if Jesus were to show up in your place, I mean actual Jesus Christ of Nazareth would show up in the workplace tomorrow, what would be different? How, how would it be different than how you do your work right now? How would it be different from how we do our work right now? That's a great question to ask because he for sure offered his life, not just a living sacrifice, but a sacrifice. He was willing. Okay, how hard our bosses have been, how difficult it's been to work in a place, none of us endured what Jesus did. Never had a boss like Pontius Pilate. Never had a boss like the Sanhedrin. None of us have. So, serve the Lord with gladness. What's next? The next commandment in the psalm, come before Him. Now, in Old Covenant Israel, 
Old Covenant people of God, you had to literally go to the temple. That was a physical building that was built in the pattern of the tabernacle what God gave to Moses. And they built a physical building. It was magnificent. It was gigantic. And when Solomon initiated the plans for it, it, it just took it up to you know a level like they'd never seen before. And it was a glorious place to go. And many of the Psalms actually were written for them to sing as they were walking up the steps to make their sacrifices and to come before the Lord. So when they would say, come before him, there was a literal physical, I'm coming to the place where God's presence is, but where's God's presence now? Some of you pointed right here. That's right here. Everywhere. This is it. Come before him means tap into what's on the inside. And amazingly, the Hebrew for this expression reads exactly like that. Bo panaim. Panaim might sound familiar if you've heard me preach about uh, Jacob when he wrestled with the angel. He renamed the place. It had another name before, but he named it Panaim because I've seen the face of God and lived, he said. This is where I saw God face to face. For him, it cost him a dislocated hip and a night of wrestling with some angel. Some Probably the same. See, now I want to use that. I've got to find another adjective, Lisa. I, I just... The same angel that went out in front of Israel when they left Mount Moriah, or yeah, Mount, Mount, uh, um, what do you call it? Hebrew, and all the other mountains in my head. Mount uh, where the Ten Commandments came from. <laughs> Mount Horeb. <laughs> when they left that place, that angel that went before him, I think it was the same one that went and dislocated Jacob's hip, and he renamed that place Hanaim because he recognized something. I was just face to face with God. How many of you know? We, that, that is our experience right now, 24-7. We live as those who are face-to-face with God. It's not a fearful thing to see the face of God anymore as it was in the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, they said no one could see the face of the Lord and live. In the New Covenant, they said, I live in His face. And He lives in my face. This is the restoration of paradise. This is what it means to actually have paradise restored. That we live face-to-face with God. There's no veil in between. Now, if I were to tell you I'm going to get up in your face about something, what do you usually think? What does that mean? We're going to be fighting, right? It's going to be kung fu fighting. I'm going to get in your face about that. It means I'm going to confront you. I'm going to do something. That's what the expression's taken on in our day. But in his face, I, I just had a friend who had an encounter. I'll describe his. I've had some of these myself, but he just had one where God was really dealing with him about a stronghold in his life and talking to him about some hardness of heart some choices he was making. He said the Lord visited him with such a powerful presence. Like, and he said it was an angel that actually came to him. It was right in his face. In fact, it felt so close, it felt like his face was in the face of the Lord like that. And he said it was absolutely unraveling, and he felt terrified of the fact that he needed to be confronted by the Lord. And yet all at the same time, he felt so comfortable. And so like, this is home. This is where I belong. He was being confronted about a major sin in his life and yet comforted all in the same breath. Only our God could do that. I'm striving for that myself. I want to learn how to confront and love all in the same sentence. But God does it with his presence. That is in his face. That's what it means to come before him, to be in his face. So if I were to ask you the question, if God says, look at me, what if God said, hey, look at me? You ever say that to your kids? Mostly it's, hey, look at me when I'm talking to you because they're doing something and they're trying to pretend, you know, that selective hearing thing, they're trying to ignore you because they don't like what you're saying. 
And so we say, look at me when I'm talking to you. Be respectful about it. That is one aspect of look at me. But what do you think of when God says, hey, look at me. Face to face right now. What kind of emotion does that draw up? Be honest with yourself. What does it make you feel initially? A little bit scared? A little bit like, oh man, I'm being taken out to the woodshed? Depending on what your experience with father, your father, natural father has been, it could be that that will come up. But what if I told you that when God says, come before me, I want to be face to face with you. It's the loving father saying, I miss the days when we walked in the cool of the day in the garden. I miss the days when you woke up in the morning and you couldn't wait to be in my presence where you weren't hiding from me because you're ashamed of yourself, where you weren't withdrawing from me every time you blow it because I'm not that kind of God. I'm not like you are. I'm not, I don't hold a grudge. I'm not, I don't throw temper tantrums. I don't get angry and, and re- react out of anger. I'm a God who is so loving that it would actually frighten you to your core if you could experience it all. And I miss our walks. When he says, come before me, He says, look at me. May your heart begin to experience. God, I bless every saint of God that our heart would not experience any fear, any anxiety about being face to face with you. Wouldn't experience any kind of a sense of, I got to pull away. I got to run away right now because he's getting too intimate with me. Your heart experience a desire, a deep felt desire to get in his presence. Let him do all the work that he does. It's like when God does the work, and I know many of us have had people rebuke and correct and say words even on God's behalf that have been cutting and hurtful. Sometimes they're that way because it needs to feel that way. Sometimes it's the messenger kind of mixed in a little bit of their own anger or anxiety into the message they deliver. And I know that does happen. But when the Father comes to us like that, it's like having surgery with anesthesia. Yeah, there's a deep work going on and being cut wide open. Anybody here ever have open heart surgery? I don't think any, I don't remember anybody here in our midst, but I've met people, you know, you see the stitches and staples afterward. And, and just imagine being awake without anesthesia for that. That's what many of us have experienced. I recognize that. We've had people try to help us and they've done it in such a way that it felt like going under open heart surgery without an anesthesia. I want to tell you, God knows exactly how to do it. He's the master surgeon. He knows how to get in there into the parts, the ugly, the things that are going to destroy us if they're not taken care of. And he does it in such a way that we actually, man, if you've ever gone out under anesthesia, that's the best feeling in the world, the deepest sleep you'll ever have in your life. You wake up and say, hit me again. You know, it's just, I mean, it's so comforting like that in the natural and in the spirit. I want to tell you, that's what our God is like. That's what our God is like. Come before Him what? It doesn't just say come before Him. Get face to face with Him. How are we going to come before Him? With joyful singing. Joyful singing. Not just any kind of singing. Because there's a lot of music out there. There's, there's blues. There's depressing music. There's blah, blah, blah. God abandoned me. All that kind of... That's all good in its place. But when we come before His presence, He said, come before me with joyful singing. This is the Hebrew word renah which means a cry of delight over a marvelous event. We just saw something amazing and our heart has to burst forth with song. And it's a joyful song. You guys ever hear um, British soccer fans in the state? You ever, you ever, I want to go to a match one day and actually be in there. Not with the crazy ones. Well, that's most of the stadium, but 
but in a place. But there's this nonstop song going on. And when the song swells, because they're getting close to getting a goal, it's moving. And I don't even like soccer. I don't even know if we won yesterday or not. We didn't. I didn't think we were. That's why I don't pay attention. Hey, but we made it to the 16, which is pretty awesome for U.S. soccer. And we tied Britain, which I'm going to harass my family about to no end. What was I going to say now? Come back. So that sound, the sound in the, in the football stadium, as they would rather we say it, is a cry of delight. When the goal gets scored, there's a cry of delight. There's, there's a shout that just fills the place. That's the sound of heaven. That's the sound when we recognize, hey, what am I seeing if I'm sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now instead of sitting down here in the earth? Like somebody said, it's hard to fly with eagles when you're or soar with eagles when you're living in the middle of turkeys. Right? Turkeys can't fly. They're too fat. They can't fly. They have wings, but they can't fly. They're just for eating on Thanksgiving and whatnot. That's pretty much all they exist for. That's not us. When we're sitting in heavenly places, what are we beholding in that place? Well, if we're actually there and we're having, we're having an actual experience, again, not just a belief. The Bible's not a book of beliefs. It is that, but it's more. This is the, the purpose of reading this book is to bring us to an encounter with its author or it's no good at all. It's just another piece of ancient literature. But when we sit in that place, there ought to come from time to time and more and more, the more revelation we've got about God, this cry of delight over something. Joyful singing comes when we behold God's goodness. I mean, then we give our heart permission to express whatever wells up on the inside. Now, again, I'm going to have to step on our cultures. I grew up in one that was repressed, and I believe many of us in this room grew up in one that says just be stoic. Be stoic. Don't feel, don't emote, don't express. Every nation has cultures. You don't have to tell an African to shout and dance when they worship. Am I right? You don't. In fact, you might have to tell them, okay, you sit down now. It's been like three hours in my legs, you know? That, that's, you don't have to tell them. Culturally, it comes very naturally to them. They shout, they dance, they sing. They might need more, more of a, a help from heaven about, okay, you can also be still and know that I'm God. Be at peace right now. Meditate on his promises. Just, just be calm for a minute and listen to what God wants to say to you. Every, I'm, I'm just saying that because every culture has its strengths. Every culture has its weaknesses. The Italian Pentecostal church that I grew up in Christ in, no problem getting people to sing and shout and dance. Because it was cultural there. I would suggest heaven's culture has a lot broader emotional range than most of the culture that we grew up in. And that, that the purpose, again, of reading the scriptures is to instruct our heart. This is what's normal. The culture we grew up in, not normal. There is no culture in the earth that has yet matched heaven's culture. There's no culture that's come to a place of such perfection that we could say the way that we do what we do, the way that we live life is exactly like heaven's way. No culture is quite there yet. And so the word of God ought to come and we say, and even sometimes repent. You say, God, I stifled something because the culture around me trained me to do so. I'm going to tell you now that until there come hurts, until circumstances and events happen in a child's life, all children are born with a natural ability to shout. Will every parent testify? That's just normal. It's their only word for like a year. Ah! It's the only way they know how to communicate. We were at 
Uh, last night, we went to uh, walk through Bethlehem up there at Grace Church, and what a phenomenal experience. And I felt this poor mama sitting in front of us, her baby had had enough. And I knew enough. We go there every year. I knew enough counting the different tribes going and how long it was going to be. So, oh, sweetheart, we got like 45 minutes till our row gets called. And you're going to be sitting there with the screaming baby. And I felt for her. And I, I reached out. I was trying to comfort her because that's embarrassing, right? I've had my kids freak out like that in public. And, and there was no escape either because you have to walk in front of Herod, who was sitting on his throne at the time, to leave the place with your baby ah! all the way out. And I leaned forward to the baby. And for the mother's benefit, I said, I know, sweetheart, that's the only word you got. Don't you wish you had more words to tell your mama what it is you need right now? She does too. And, I, you know, I blessed her and, you know, I comforted the mom. So don't worry about it. All babies do that. You should have heard this one, that one in the back. Taya, softest voice in the family, loudest baby on planet Earth when she was little. She just was. And it's awesome. And she's, she's got a voice. But, but anyway, we're all born with the ability for joyful shouting. Now, I know it's not always joyful, but don't babies also squeal with delight? You put something in front of a baby that they like and enjoy, woo! They are just immediate, no, nothing repressing them. So, so dare I say it, something happens in our life when things shut down our emotions and we become emotionally constipated. We do. Time for some Holy Ghost x lacks, folks. It's time to let all of what's in our heart out. It is normal in heaven's culture to shout sometimes. It's not always shout and you lose your voice. It's not always that. There are some times for hard crying too. I mean, the whole range needs to be wide open for us and that we express worship. How, how many of you know Christ in us is not repressed? Christ in us has no problem praising the Father and being excited about it. He said, you know, as, as uh, Todd was exhorting earlier when those Pharisees were all coming out saying, hey, quiet the kids down. He didn't say, I'll tell you right now, if these kids are silent, the rocks will, they'll, they'll you know, start singing softly to me. He said, I'm going to tell you what the rocks are eager to do. They even want to cry out because of what they're experiencing right now with my presence here. All of nature is crying out for the manifestation of the sons of God. So let's beat them to it and ain't going to let no rock out praise me. All right. It's about what, when it feels like God. What, what about when it feels like God is hiding his face from me? Anybody been there before? Anybody there now? I know some of you are. I'm not going to make eye contact with you. I know some of you are at home because of this. I love you, but you should be here. There's something really sweet in the middle of the saints that you can't get by, by your computer screen. This is the place. That there's a manifest presence because we are built up together, a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. And the things you miss out on if you're not around His people who are of a like and precious faith. So what do we do then? What about when it feels like God is hiding his face from us. Well, again, in the Psalms, every emotion that there is. Turn to Psalm 13 if you have your Bible with you today. This was a Psalm. Don't know if we know exactly when David wrote it or not. Let me check and see if there's a, if one of the manuscript people put a title. Nope. Just a in italics, a prayer for help in trouble. That's probably the NASB translators that did that. But, but it starts out and it says uh, the title that David gave to it is it's for the choir director 
And this is a psalm of David. In other words, you know, I've described the psalm sometimes as like reading David's diary. You get to see his inner workings. You see what was going on in his heart when he was experiencing all the things he did on the way to the throne. And, and in some sense it is that. But this one, David said, you know what? I want the people of God from this time forth and forever to join me in the experience that I had. What experience did he have? He's cried out. He said, how long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David wrote in other Psalms, early will I seek your face. I'm going to seek your face. I'm looking for your face. Why did he have to seek his face? Because sometimes it felt like God was hiding his face from him. Did God ever hide his face from David? Of course not. Never been a time that God turned his back on his beloved. But there are times it sure feels like that. There are times when this cry needs to become our cry. You know, we, we mostly, I don't know if there is a song written from this beginning part of this psalm that anybody sings. Michael Card wrote one. It was really good. How long, oh Lord? You ever feel like that? I mean, for some of us, the how long comes after it's been like three hours. For some of us, our heart begins to cry out how long after a couple weeks. For some who maybe have more of the fruit of patience, the how long comes after a year. But what about when the years begin to turn into decades? What about when it just feels like I've got this thing that I need God to do for me and He has to move on my behalf and the years are getting really long? How long will you hide your face from me? I really urge you to be that honest with God. To look at God and say, are you going to keep hiding from me? Because I'm right here right now. I hope that you love God enough and know how much He loves you. You could go right into the throne room of God and say, where are you? I've prayed that prayer. Where are you? You're going to wait forever? Because man, every day that goes by, it seems like more and more, like the tide washing away the sand with erosion, like more and more of this thing that I've spent my life and devoted myself to just feels like it's getting washed away. How much longer? And the Lord answered me one time. Normally, he just kind of patiently waits until I vent, and then I aim to end up as David did. I'll show you in a minute. And one time, the Lord answered me and said, until that stupid thing that you did is all gone, because I never told you to do that. <laughs> God doesn't tell you that what you did was stupid, just me. All right? Because he speaks New York. You know, the voice of God sounds like your native language. So that's how I hear God. Stop it, you idiot. You know, like that. And I know he doesn't say I'm an idiot. It's not nice to call names like that. It's just... The frankness of speech I grew up with is my native tongue. I don't talk to you like that. Right? I never understand that. Okay. <laughs> so, so get in his face until, he, until you see his face again. Because sometimes, you know, the thing that we bottle up, if we don't learn how to pour out our heart before God, our heart remains hurt. The thing that we hold on the inside ain't going to go away. Time to unheal squat. It's just going to get infected. And until we pour it out before the Lord, you know what happens when we pour out our heart? He refills it with His goodness. That's exactly what needs to be done sometimes. So stop being stoic with the Lord and pretending like everything's okay when it's not. Because He certainly doesn't ever pretend anything. He's as real as real gets. He is more real than the air we're breathing right now. Because He existed before it was. That's how real God is, and He is not afraid of real. He does get irritated at fake which is why Jesus would about borderline cuss out the Pharisees. I mean, he even called them names. 
because of that fakeness. How long shall I take counsel of my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? That's what David was experiencing at the time. Excuse me. Consider, answer me, Lord my God. Man, he's getting right in his face. Come on, answer me. You got to read this one with emotion. Not like, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. That, that, David wasn't like that. You don't cut off the head of a nine-foot giant and then go around like, oh, would you please answer me, O God? Answer me! Right? Just You got to experience the passion of this moment. If you've ever been broken, and really, this is something that comes with age. Now I understand some things, that you experience it more deeply because you've spent more time building things the older you get. You've spent more of your life, you've devoted more of your life to things, some of which need to crumble, some of which the enemy comes and just starts taking shots at, and you feel it more the older you get. And and David was like, come on, answer me, Lord, and lighten my eyes, or I'll sleep the sleep of death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. My adversaries will rejoice when I'm shaken. And and but but and here's where the the bipolar thing comes in. Almost as if in another breath. Now you gotta understand, anybody here ever written a song? I, I know you have. I've heard you you're singing a song. Shanna, I'm talking to you. You've written a song? When you write anybody ever written poetry, you had to in literature class, and, and I know most of you hated it when you had to do it. But when you write a piece of poetry, you write a little bit, and then you walk away and you experience it a little bit. Maybe you're writing out of the overflow of something going on in your life, and you write it down a little bit, and then you walk away, you come back, and you go, oh, and you feel inspired, and then you get the next line of the song. Oh, have you guys seen Sight and Sound's movie, I Heard the Bells? I just went and saw that yesterday with Taya. Really, really good movie. It's about the story behind Longfellow writing that Christmas carol. It's a rich Christmas carol, but he wrote it out of a deep agony when his wife burned to death right in front of his eyes. And he went into a deep depression pushed God away for a couple of years. And it's just so powerful. But the scene where he's writing it, you can see he begins to write and he gets to the part where he writes about the pain and the, the loss. And then he has to walk away because he's just angry about it. And he takes a little sleep and wakes up. And then all of a sudden, the new revelation comes. All right, but that wasn't the end of the story. Because you've been good to me. And I forget the words of the carol. I don't really know that carol very well. And then he begins to write. And that's how I believe it was with David. He poured his heart out to the Lord. I bet he had a good, hard shouting. I would love to see David's mighty men sometimes. I bet he was like in a cave somewhere. And David's mighty men are outside. Oh, man, there he goes again. I ain't going in there. Joab, you go. I ain't telling him. <laughs> you know, they're all waiting outside until he's done venting. And all of a sudden at the end of this, I bet there was this soft cry. God, what I'm experiencing right now, I feel like you've forsaken me. You've given me your promises. You've given me your anointing. And now I'm here pursued like a, I'm a dead man walking in the wilderness. And I've got these knuckleheads to take care of now too. In the middle of all of it, and then I bet at the end of it, there was this soft sob going on. Oh, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. I know what it feels like. I know you're still good. I know right now everything's falling apart in my life and it seems so hopeless, but you're too good. You're too good to not believe. You know that song? That's a great song for these kind of times. You're too good to not believe. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That's a twofold meaning in this psalm. Your salvation meaning I know that I'm not going to die because I have unfulfilled promises in my life. 
I know that I am destined for the throne. And so even though it feels like they're going to catch up with me one day and kill me, I know that's not the end of my story because you promised something that hasn't happened yet. But it also means my heart shall rejoice in your salvation that I've experienced. I've got a testimony. You've built a track record with me, God. You've been with me through it all. You've always seen me through. And I'm going to rejoice now in your salvation. How many of you know only faith-filled people can rejoice before something happens? That That's what it means. Rejoice literally means take the joy that's inside and bring it to the surface. Rejoice. So you got to have joy first. How many of you have joy, joy, joy down in your heart? Make me sing it. I'm on a kid's song medley today now, right? You got joy in your heart. We do, because we have the one who is anointed with the oil of joy above everyone else living on the inside. All right, so we got the joy. Rejoice means use your mouth, use your body, do something to express the joy that's in there. So David said, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to rejoice in your salvation. I'm done having a pity party with myself as the guest of honor. It's over. Everybody go home. Time to rejoice in the God of my salvation. Why? I'm going to sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. He has dealt bountifully with me. Said in a cave somewhere being hunted down for his life, he just couldn't get away from the goodness of God. Hallelujah. Back to Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is good. It's He who made us, not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Worship team, could you come on back up to the platform for a minute? Even when everything else begins to fall apart in our lives, even when it looks hopeless, even when it looks like what's the point of praising, what's the point of worshiping right now, even when all those things happen, here's the, the, uh, what's this, the fourth commandment in this psalm. Know that the Lord Himself is God. That word, know. And for us, really, it means remember. Know that the Lord is good. That word, know, the word yada, means to know something, to learn something, to perceive something, to discern something, to experience something, to confess something, and to consider something. That's what the word yada means. So, we want to know that the Lord Himself is God. Can we say these things as a prayer to the Lord? And then I'm going to invite us to a time of worship to really connect with the Lord. Let's stand to our feet for a minute and declare these things to the Lord. So, yada. Let's make this a prayer. Say say with me, Lord, I want to know that you are God. It is you who made me and not me myself. I am your people and I'm the sheep of your pasture. Then the word means to learn. How many of you know that we've experienced some things, learned some things about God, but there's always more to understand about all these things that we need to know. There's always more to learn. So Lord, help me to learn that you're God, that it's you who made me, and not me myself. Help me to learn that I am your people. And learn what it means to be the sheep of your pasture. Man, to be in the pasture of the Good Shepherd. To have that revelation. And that changes everything. And then, 
We've learned it, but we also have to perceive it. That means to see it. Like we can actually testify and say, I see something. I recognize something. I know something because I can see it with my own eyes. So Lord, help me to see that you are God. Help me to perceive how you made us and not we ourselves. This is a repeat after me prayer. Help me to perceive that I am your people and the sheep of your pasture. And then this word yadam also means to discern, which means a sifting. Discerning means sorting out that which is false from that which is true. That which our heart maybe began to make judgments about God, judgments about circumstances. We reached conclusions. We, we thought a certain way. And discerning means sifting all of that out and leaving behind only what's true. So Lord, help me discern that you are God. Help me to discern that it's you who made me. And I didn't make myself. Help me to discern how I am your people. And help me to discern that I am the sheep of your pasture. And then my favorite meaning of the word yada is to experience something. To experience something. If you have a King James translation and you read through the passages that we call the begats, they begin with, they, they say, and Adam knew Eve, and she begat Seth. Adam knew. Well, there's a lot of intimacy going on in that word. It's an experience. God is not just to be believed in. God is to be experienced, or our beliefs are wrong somehow. So Lord, help me to experience that You are God. Help me to experience about how You made me and I didn't make myself. Help me to experience what it's like to be your people. Help me to experience being the sheep of your pasture. And then the word means to confess. The word confess literally means to agree with. To confess something that God says means to come into agreement with what God knows. So the word know for us means now I know what God already knows. And my understanding, my mind has now come to be one with the mind of God about something. That's what the word confess means. So we always say, yeah, confess your sins, which means, yeah, God, I agree that I'm guilty. But what if we confess this? What if we, what if we confess, God, I confess that you, the Lord, are God. I confess that it's you who made me and not me myself. I confess that I am yours. And I confess I'm the sheep of your pasture. Does your heart agree with that? All right, then you know that the Lord Himself is good. Finally, it means to consider. And this is more meditation. Consider means to ponder something. It means I'm weighing something in my heart I don't want my mind to be too quick about this and just say, okay, I know that, move on. I want to meditate on this. I want to consider it until my heart knows. How many of you know your heart never forgets anything? Our hearts don't forget anything. That's why you can remember something that happened when you were three years old if it moved your heart somehow, whether with fear or love or whatever it is. All the things that our mind remembers 20, 30, 40 years down the road had an emotion attached to them. And when we consider all of these things, that are in this. The reason why the writer, why David put that in the psalm, 
These are the things that I consider, David said. These are the things I ponder in my heart. And it's why I can praise in the middle of the darkest night. It's why I can worship when I'm the only only one left standing. It's why I never lose contact with God, even when I feel like He's hiding His face from me. So as we minister to the Lord with this song, I want to encourage you to consider all of these things. Consider God's goodness, in other words. Consider the ways that God has been with us. Minister to the Lord. Nobody's going to dismiss you from this point onward. When the song wraps up, we're going to move into setting up the room. But take your time in the presence of the Lord. If you do finish and you see that there are some people still having a moment with the Lord, please take your fellowship out into the lobby. If you're in the middle of experiencing grief or experiencing sorrow right now, I see that Deb's here today. You all know and you've all been praying for the family. We love you, Deb. If you want to surround Deb and just sing over her right now, that would really, really be good. I don't know whether the rest, if your fam- the rest of your family's here too. Just gather them around and minister over them with song. But let's just connect and perceive and consider just how good God is. Yeah.